Welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap. And this week, I am stoked to bring you my interview with Tommy Breedlove. It was an eye-opening conversation, something that just hit home with me, made me just feel a change just in my conversation. You're going to feel the enthusiasm from Tommy. He's an author of a Wall Street Journal bestseller, USA Today bestseller, legendary. And his story to where he is as an executive coach is incredible. He was in jail early on. He reached the ranks of the top floor executive board director and the insights that he provides us for this industry to find ourselves. There's actionable ideas and takeaways in every second of my conversation with Tommy Breedlove. It was life-changing in some ways to me, and I know it will be to you. You're going to enjoy this conversation this week with Tommy Breedlove. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Tommy Breedlove, thanks so much for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. How you doing, man? Good, brother. I wish we were uh, sitting next to each other. We just found out that we're right down the street from each other, man. But super stoked to be here, Matt, man. So thank you. I'm grateful to be here. And let's bridge the gap, my friend. I love it. And, you know, it's it's the new normal that we're in, right? Where, you know, it's just, it's funny, actually. I had a meeting on my calendar earlier today and it said it was a phone meeting just because that's what everybody's used to. And so I pick up the phone and I call them and I start talking. I'm like, this is going a little bit odd. And I check my teams and, and one of the people in my office was like, your, your meeting is here. And I, I was talking to them on the phone and they were in my lobby at our office. And, you know, it's just the new world that we are in. I was like, I was like, are you in our lobby? And they're like, yeah. I was like, I'll be right out there. You got to admit, that's awesome, man. Was it, it a was, client? It was classic. Yeah, it was a client. It was a client that we were talking to and they're sitting out there with them and the wife and you just have to laugh about it. So one thing <laughs> that they'll awesome. never forget about our relationship, that's for sure. I would sign. Uh, I would have signed up right then. I'm like, okay, this is funny. I love it. I love it, dude. And my, one of my things was like, well, this is just the new way that we meet is over the phone now. And they're like, no, we're in person. <laughs> <laughs> who knew? Uh, yeah, who knew? Well, Tommy, I mean, your background, man, is is incredible. I, I love the journey that you've gone on, and and your your book that you've got, legendary, is is just incredible. And I think that you know the listener base here can learn so much from you and. That's what I want to dive into is just kind of your journey. And I always like to start with getting your background, where you came from, you know, born and raised. Tell us about your journey. And I want to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, totally, brother. I grew up on the south side of Atlanta, GA, very near the airport. And I think most people have been in our airport at least once or stuck there at least once, right? (laughs) So good blue collar, hardworking part of the world, man. But I did come from a a good hardworking family, but none of them had ever graduated college. And so I was slated to be the first. So I was pretty pumped up about that. A little bit about my background, though, is I grew up in and around some violence and abuse inside and out of the home. And unfortunately, man, I had a full ride to the University of Georgia, half a ride to Miami and a bunch of other colleges, you know, coming out of high school. And unfortunately, I became the violence that I hated so much. And at 18 years old, I committed a violent crime. I was looking at seven years in prison, man. And I thought, oh, God, life is over. You know, I was a pretty tough kid, but ended up luckily dropped to top dropped to two heavy misdemeanors, but was still sentenced to two years and spent my 19th birthday incarcerated, man. Not mm. fun. Don't recommend it. Not going back. But what something really cool happened there, brother, is Matt, an African-American gentleman in his 40s, really built dude named Tony, man, cross racial lines, 
mentored me, showed me what actually being a man meant and basically called me young blood. He didn't call me Tommy or breed blood. He called me young blood. He said, young blood, you're not going to become part of this revolving door system, man. You just got, you've got to go out there and live your life. And with his mentorship and accountability and love, I did, man. And I dusted myself off picked myself up, went to work for a nuclear waste container factory during the day for about six bucks an hour. Brutal work, man. Ended up costing me a hernia operation, a back operation. And dude, I was broke, so I couldn't afford those operations. (laughs) And put myself through community college at night, man. And then I did end up back at the University of Georgia. And one of the things I'm proud of, brother, is I went from a jail cell to Deloitte in three years, man. And not many people can say they did that. And I don't know how Deloitte screwed that up, man. I don't know how I got in, but I got in and I, I was, you know, I rocked it. Uh, I'll give you a little bit more about the story. And then um, 15 years later, though, brother, I was corner office working for a huge middle market firm in Atlanta, running their international practice. And if you looked at me on the outside, you said, this dude has got it all going on. He's got the shiny cufflinks, the tailored suit, the corner office that looks down on Atlanta. He's going somewhere, man. It was just all things. and um, But inside, I still felt scared, alone, insecure, angry. You know, the stuff that us men, we don't talk about, especially men at the top of the game. I was a junior partner principal in this firm. You don't talk about that stuff, man. And when the money, the power, the fame, the corner office, and the shiny objects didn't fill me up, I started turning to everything else. You're in the financial industry. Think Wolf of Wall Street, man. I lived that life for about three or four years. And dude, at 36 or 37, it almost cost me my life. It almost cost me my wife and ultimately the firm that I had worked so hard to go up in and found myself, woke up in a ditch in downtown Atlanta. I'm not even remotely making that up. It's probably doing some sort of multi-million dollar M&A deal or financial audit a week before that or sitting in some boardroom. Wake up in downtown Atlanta, looking at the sky and I'm like, how the hell did I get here, man? And I Mm. said, enough is enough, dude. And I uh, literally, literally started investing in me full-time, my heart, my mind muscles, my physical muscles to just be strong, confident, courageous, figure out who I am, where I'm going, who's coming with me. And this is the coolest thing, man. In that three years, when I that defining moment for me, I went from junior partner to senior partner to, to elected to the board of directors and an owner at 39 years old. Most of the people in that firm were in their 60s. My money doubled my network 10 axed my marriage with my wife became the best it ever had. My friendships grew and became better. But most importantly, man, I found peace of mind, confidence, courage, fulfillment. And I went, no kidding, brother, I went from working probably 75, 80 hours a week and including partying down to about probably 35 or 40, but doubled my money just by being a better guy, a better leader, a better man. I went from the arrogant guy. And you know, arrogance is just insecurity on steroids. You know what I'm saying? But I went from that arrogant, tough, important life of the party guy to just being me and just leading with love, you know, being more curious than, you know, competitive and, and really just listening. And I made it to the top of the firm in three years just by being a good dude. And so I'll get, now I'll finish it off by telling you how I got to where I am today. Yeah. All of these and I'm not, I'm just going to say it. People in the financial planning industry, the private equity industry, M&A industry, entrepreneurs, corporate executives, my network. And I had a big network because that's the business I'd been in for so long. But my network started reaching out to me and asking me for coffee or meet them for a beer or go for a walk. And I thought we were just networking, man. Let's do some business together. These, these guys and gals are like, man, I don't know what you did, but I want some of that. 
I mean, you went from, you have transformed 180 degrees. You seem peaceful, calm. Your marriage is great. You're crushing it uh, professionally. You're not working as much as you used to. What drug are you taking, man? And I was like, there's no drug, brother, but I have the formula. So I just started, I mean, some of these people were in their 50s, 60s, 70s. Some of them were in their 30s and 20s, but they were just reaching out. I mean, literally out of the woodworks, man. And so I finally, with some great coaching, some great mentorship, and some really big support from my family, decided to sell my equity in the firm, walk away literally from financial security and at the top of the game, and really start doing executive coaching, running retreats, masterminds, and ultimately the playbook legendary came into existence. And we're so thankful that the book legendary has now become a wall street journal and USA today bestseller. And I think a book like that is a necessity these days, not a luxury. And so that's my journey, man. into how I got to where I am today, which, and if you'd have told me seven years ago that I was going to be an executive coach and running men's masterminds and conferences and retreats and speaking all over the planet to help people be better leaders, I would have laughed you out of the room, man, because I was just going to make millions of dollars doing what I did the rest of my life. And I chased a dream. And now I feel I live a life of significance. I do feel like I live a life of purpose. And I love, love, love what I do, brother. So I'll just leave it at that and fire away at all that stuff. That is, I mean, Tommy, I mean, that is a, that's a journey that, that you've lived in, let's just call it 25 years that some people will never go through in their whole lifetime. And you've, you've, you've wrapped it in and bottled it up in that short period of time. And I, and I want to pick it apart a little bit and I, I want to try to try to learn from it. I'm interested to know, like, if you think back to that time and from what you can remember, you know, when you were in incarcerate, incarcerated and, and Tony was helping you, what were some of the things that he he said to you or he helped you see that helped you when you got out to be better? Yeah, man. So first of all, what he showed me is I didn't have much positive male influence in my life growing up. I was the youngest boy in an all boy neighborhood. So I carried toted a lot of beatings there. And, you know, my just in the house, there wasn't a lot of safety for me um, in a lot of different ways. And on the street, there wasn't a lot of safety for me. What The street wasn't near as bad as other places. But so I never really had positive male mentorship. I never had a role model, for lack of a better word, how they carried themselves. And so he basically gave... Now, he, I didn't deal with any of those demons that I had inside of me, you know, the anger and rage. But he basically... The jail was enough from a fear standpoint, but he just showed me like how to carry himself, how to stand with his head up and shoulders back, how not to be the toughest guy in the room, but set boundaries and also not be a doormat. Because, man, when I got there, I thought I was a wolf because I thought I was tough as nails. Man, I realized I was I was a skinny white boy in South Atlanta jail, man, and I realized I am in trouble. And so from protection, but how he carried himself to basically asking me how it happened, why it happened, what led any like basically led me to all these mistakes and, you know, you know, death by a thousand cuts to how I got to that one fatal night over a drunken rage, almost lost my mind. And he basically from accountability, from mentorship to love, showed me what a man looked like, show me how to not make those decisions. And ultimately what he taught me is get all of those people out of your life yesterday, because eventually you won't be able to get them out of your life and you will become the thing that you hate again. And I think that was the biggest lesson I took away. 
what I hear from that story is, I mean, it's, it's so much, so important to surround yourself with the people that you want to be like, right? I mean, it's, it's who you surround yourself with. And, and as a kid, unfortunately, we don't have ton of control of who we're surrounded by, right? We are, we are born into this world and we're surrounded by those that, that brought us in. But when we get older, we have the opportunity to, to select that. I think that that learns something from success and also just growth as an individual. That's such a big and it, thing. It's the truth holds today, man. If you hang out with five wealthy people, you're going to be wealthy. You hang out with five poor people, you're going to be poor. If you hang out with five angry people, you're going to be angry and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, man. I mean, it's an energy flow. It's an energy exchange and we become what we're surrounded with. I mean, all the great mentors from Jim Rohn on have said that. And it's just so true from A to Z. And you lived it. And, you know, you, you mentioned something as well in this story about, you know, the inability for, and in, in, in financial wealth management, financial advising is a male dominated industry. And yeah. that's, and I think that there's a lot of people that are looking to change that and get more diverse, which is such a necessity, I believe, in order for this industry to continue to grow. But you mentioned something about, you know, males inability to really kind of like, share themselves and understand like their their share their fears and their concerns and that they're worried or their whatever it may be. How did you I mean I know you were kind of forced and then you had some difficult times, but you know, as you tell other people, how do you help people or how did you overcome that and get to that? Because it is so hard because we have to stay strong and we're all good. But inside it, it's like I'm freaking, you're eating your at yourself, right? And if you share it, you're weak. And if you're weak, you're not a man. And so how do you how do you overcome that and how do you help others? So it's the one thing. Well, I have about four or five things that I that just really I'm fighting. Like the impact that I'm making within my executive men's mastermind movement is exactly for that. Because we don't have it all figured out at work. We don't have all the answers. We're not we're got to stop dying on that white horse. We all struggle in our relationships with our family and our friends. We all need people to lean on. We don't, you know, what I'm saying we need other like-minded men going in the same direction to connect with, to go deep with. And I'm not talking about like emotionally vomiting. I'm talking about asking for help and seeking wisdom in certain places or advice so that we move forward. So how did I do it? I am a huge advocate. First of all, I had hired a boatload of coaches in all sorts of aspects from life to marketing to mentorship. I worked with therapists and I've read every book that I could get my hands on. And I found originally people just started asking me, like, again, financial planners, bankers, lawyers, executives, entrepreneurs in my network started reaching out to me. And what I realized is when I was just open and honest about my fears, my worries, my insecurities, that voice inside of my head that said I wasn't good enough. I mean, this is a guy, I'm a six foot two, 200 pound plus guy that was wearing, you know, cufflinks for God's sake, you know, walked in the room, I commanded presence, but it was all bull nonsense. It was all nonsense. And so I'll just say it that way so we can keep this thing clean. <laughs> and I saw it within my industry, man. And in in my particular, the firms that I worked for, not Deloitte, I'm just going to say that because they weren't that way, but the firms I worked at, that avoid certain behaviors. You know what I'm saying? That avoid this, that avoid this. You know, you got to be the most powerful guy in the room. Compete, 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 win. And dude, I'm a, I'm a sports guy, so I like to compete and win. But I like compete and win in the right way. So what I give people, and first of all, I had to just get very comfortable with who I was. And honestly, brother, it took a lot of hard work. So I'm a big fan. Let me get back to it. I'm a big fan of working on the inner game. So we like to say in the financial world that our families are first, bull nonsense. Your business is first. Get real, get honest, and look in the mirror, man. Your business is first. And we put business first, 
family second, friends third, sometimes we put network second, and then ourselves last. I'm fighting against that, man. I think we've got to put ourselves first. If we want respect in the marketplace and from our families, we got to respect ourselves. If we want to love harder and love our people, love our family, love our friends, we got to love ourselves. We've got to stand with confidence and courage because most of us are scared to death. We're worried, we're fear, and we're inundated by the news and social media. So the reason I say that, and then I'm going to see, I'm going to tell you how I get people to open up, is every day, and I'm not kidding. If you went up and looked on my dining room table right now. I spend about an hour working on me. Right before this, I did uh, 45 minutes on the Peloton. Of course, we got to protect the physical fort. But you got to protect the mental, emotional, and spiritual fort just as much. And those are muscles just like our other muscles. And if they're not growing, they're dying. So in order to conquer that mo- that voice inside our head that says we're not whatever or we're comparing ourselves or we're not there yet, and when I get this and when I have more, I'll be happy – or we're not as confident, courageous as we need to be. We don't respect ourselves, but whatever it is you're facing, fear, judgment, anger, whatever it is, in order to mitigate that, you've got to work on your heart muscles, your mind muscles, and your soul muscles. And so every single day, from meditation to gratitude to journaling to prayer to daily readings that I do, I work on those muscles every day. And by the way, I'm in the executive coaching business. Guess what I have? A coach. You want to be world-class? Get a coach. Look at the people who are, they all have coaches. So because I'm in the industry, my coach helps me with my blind spots. He helps me be better. I run a men's mastermind program. I'm in a mastermind. So I work every single damn day to keep this train on the tracks to be stronger mentally, emotionally, to stand tall, and to be one of the most powerful people in the room by being one of the most quiet people in the room. And that takes a lot of work and skill. Now, how do I get these executives to open up? How do I get these alphas to open up? These guys who think, when I get here or when I have more, I'll be happy. Let me tell you, if you're unhappy now, that extra money is going to magnify your unhappiness 10x. If you're a good person who wants to make impact significance and you make all the money in the world, that'll magnify that impact. So money's not going to make you happy. And I'm a money guy. So let's be clear. And I'm not one of those, you know, you know, the old saying that T. Harf Hecker says, if, if someone says money's not important, run from them because they're broke. And so <laughs> I go by that every single day, brother. But what the whole point is what I give these men either when I'm on stage or when I'm running a conference, uh, the retreat that I run up in North Georgia for these men, or whether I'm doing one-on-one work, is I give them the gift of going second. I've had a lot of mistakes. I've had a lot of failures in business. I've invested poorly sometimes. I've made mistakes in leadership. I've been fired, but I've also made a lot of money. I've sat in a lot of boardrooms. I've done a lot of M&A deals. And now I've helped hundreds and hundreds of people be better men, be better leaders, be better fathers, be better in business, make more money and be better in their relationships. And I give them the gift of going second. So when one of us, I like to share wisdom and not opinions. So whatever they're going through in their life, maybe they're, maybe they need my help negotiating a partnership deal with a a tough partner, or they want to, they want to sell their company or they they're struggling in their marriage, or they just want to be a better leader and more confident. I share with them my failures, my mistakes, Then I share with them what I did to overcome that. And then I share with them what happens now. And so I really give them the gift of going second. And I'm telling you, we men, I'm going to tell you what men want. They want power, status, and respect. And they think that's going to come through money and title. It does some somewhat. And you know why we want that? Because way back when it got us laid, that's true. Got us to the top of the game way back when it did. It still does today. However, 
when we fear embarrassment, right? We just, I mean, it's almost like we'd rather put a gun in our head than be embarrassed. But what we truly crave is real connection. You know, you know, men that are going in the same direction, that want to be better leaders. They want to make more money. They want to be whatever. They just want to be better. They want to sharpen that pencil. And I've created an entire movement and group of we get real and honest. We have big conversations and real conversations about business and mistake. We have real conversations about how we get better. And when you give someone the gift of going second, man, they just open up and tell you just about everything, man. And there's nothing now. And I think another thing that I have on my side is I never judge. There is not one thing that someone can say to me that I haven't heard before, regardless of what it is through all the work that I've done on myself and through all the work that I help other people do. And so I think they feel safe I'm a deep listener. I'm very, very present, but I also um, help. I don't, I'm not in the change business. I'm in the getting the best out of people business, man. And it's been the, I'll stop talking. I'm so damn passionate about it. So I'll just stop talking. That's how I do it. I give them the gift of going second. I mean, I, we have this going on video and some people are just listening to it on the podcast and I think they can sense and feel that passion. And, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I, I mean, as a male, as a leader, as having failed and having gone through those challenges before, and I know that I've got more to go, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm like sitting there, you know, yeah, I hear you, man. Like, I agree with that, right? You know, it was seven years ago, and I share this story, and you know, it's the, it's the power of going second, right? Because you just shared some, and now I'm going to share something. It is, you know, seven years ago, actually now it's probably eight years ago, I was in a relationship with a girl that I didn't want to screw up. I was starting out a new business that I didn't have any idea what to do, how to do it. And I've always pushed people away. And I decided to go get a therapist mm. at that time. Mm. And I, I didn't want to screw this one up. And uh, now that lady's my my wife and the mother of my child. And yeah, uh, come on, brother. And, 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 and all of that, right? And, and, and I still <laughs> talk to that therapist today because... You know, it needs to be, you need to have someone to, to, to talk with and, and to share that I, there's, there's like worries and concerns and, and have some sounding board of not someone that needs to change you, but help you, like you said, understand your blind spot. And I think in this industry, especially, we're so against wanting to go and get help because we think that we are the smartest people in the room. And right. we are really smart. We are really smart. But Indeed. we are human and human nature, just you have innate challenges that are built on just like your emotional challenges impact your investment decisions, your upbringing and your emotional challenges and inundation of social media and all this information challenge your ability to stay confident and stay true to who you are. And you try to be sometimes too many times of who you're not. And that's a challenge, I think, in the space. I, I, I resonate with everything you're saying. I think it's just a matter of how we get people like how can we help? more people in this industry see that, right? How can we help get to that point? See, my hope for, first of all, let me say, thank you. That, that Thank you for sharing that, dude. And you know what I heard in that? You took action. You knew, you knew if you did the same thing you've always done, you're going to screw that up and that woman's going to leave you. You knew it. Mm-hmm. So you took assertive action to be a better partner, to now be a better husband. Now you were father. Um, but you took action on that. And what I love about therapy is it deals with our nonsense from the past. We all got mommy and daddy issues, man. Let's just own that stuff. Not all of us, but most of us do. Um, but we have some issue, you know, that we dealt with from, our, you know, and we make everything, by the way, emotional decisions. If you don't think you make your decisions on emotions, you are wrong. Do the research. And so you took action, man. And I think, you know, 
therapy helps you in the past and coaches help you draw a line in the sand and get better going forward. So thank you for sharing that. And my hope is, brother, is I wish more people would come to me or our mastermind or retreats or one-on-one when they're not on the trauma table, when they haven't made a big business mistake or an integrity mistake or a life mistake or a relationship mistake. And what I love, and lately it's been great. I've had, you know, I've worked with some I work with some celebrities and I work with some pretty big, everybody in between, man. Guys are making, making changes in their life to big, big, big CEOs that we would all know. And it's been an honor doing that. But we all have the same issues, man. The difference between them and the people who aren't doing it is they want to be better in whatever area. Happiness, peace of mind, fulfillment, courage, leadership, business, money, blind spots. You know, what am I doing wrong? That, you know, and what we see in the mirror is not what everybody else sees in the mirror. And what I would tell people on this, do you want to wait till you get onto the trauma table? I mean, if you want to make a big change in your life or you hate your career and you're unhappy or you feel angry or you're scared to death from all this nonsense on the moves that's making you worried, go find the nearest mirror. That's the problem and the solution. And what are you going to do about it to go fix it? Are you going to do the things you always done? Because change is hard, man. It takes work and it takes personal accountability and it takes action. And that's hard. And people get comfortable with their pain because that's what they know. But if they truly want to live this life so that they don't look back with regrets and man, I worked in a career because so-and-so. And I got to be honest, uh, Matt, I really could give two flying flips what everybody thinks about me. If you're not going to die at my funeral, I don't, I mean, not if you're not going to cry at my funeral, I don't care what you think. And so that's the truth. Now I listen to my coaches. I listen to my, I have an inner circle of men that I hang around with. I listen to my wife and I listen to my team. But if you want to stop caring about what other people think, if you want to change your career, go chase your purpose or even find your purpose. If you find yourself looking at the sky and like, why am I here? You need to find some purpose. And so I know I'm getting preachy. I'll stop. But the whole point is, do you want to die with regrets? Do you want this one preciously short, short life? Do you want to live it unhappy? Do you want to live it unangry? Do you want to live it not in the right relationship or the right career? Do you not want to chase your dreams? Do you not want to be better? I think we constantly have to keep growing because if we're not growing, we're dying. And I promise you, promise you, there's something in your life. And I'll ask the question, what's the one thing in your life that you're struggling with? Everybody knew it like that. Now, what are you going to do about it to fix it? And so, and I just think, I think this world, especially in the business world, and for us to change, for us to make impact, and honestly, for us to make a lot of money, We've got to surround ourselves with people who hold us accountable and we hold ourselves accountable and who wants to make us better. I just don't want people to wait until it's too late. And I, and I think that it's the, it's the, there's a, there's a, there's a syndrome that I, f- I forget what it's called, but it, everybody is always just waiting for the next thing. Oh, when, and like you're saying, right. When I when get to more. this, when, yes. When I get to this next step, when I get to this next step, then it'll be better. And so when you ask them how they solve it, it's like, well, over, like in the next year, it'll be solved. When we get this deal done, it'll be better. But it's never that way. Never. And, and that's a ghost. You, you're talking about books and reading, and like I'm a big believer in reading. And you don't have to finish the book; just go read a lot of books and read pages in them, and you'll learn different things. You don't have to feel like you have to go from front to back and then go to the next one. Read as many as you can at once. And uh, the one book that changed my changed my perspective and and my thought of like meditation and self worth and self awareness. Is, is a book called Reboot called by Jerry Colonna. And yeah. it's, you know, it's just a putting failure on the table and, and all that type of stuff that he talks about. I'm just curious, you know, in your side, because you've read a ton, 
outside of your own book, Legendary, <laughs> I have to give it that plug. What's been the book that's changed your life the most? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Probably read it six, seven, eight, nine, ten, five, I don't, a lot. I've actually taken, you know, before I got into this, when I was still in the financial industry, I created a men's group and we went through it together. That book is meant to be worked. And it's not just about being rich financially. And I'm a big fan of that, by the way, especially if you're a good person, I want you to be rich because you'll go do great things with that money. But at the end of the day, the Think and Grow Rich, is a, it's a holistic way. It changed my life. I've built my entire movement, practice, coaching, everything around it is how do we be solid in all phases of our lives as best we can during that phase. So Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, I've, I mean, I can't tell you, I, I've probably got it memorized by this point, but it's just a world-class book. It's, it's older but the wisdom in it is universal and it, it, and it crosses cultures and races and creeds and male and women. It doesn't matter who you are. It's applicable to everybody. So that's the number one. So, and I, I think that that's a book that I'm going to put in my Kindle and, and be flipping through as well. And, and after you know, legendary I, brother, after I, legendary, after legendary, <laughs> I mean, legendary is already there. I mean, come on, legendary is already there. How could it not be with this, with this podcast coming up? Right. Uh, it, Walk us through, and then I want to just get into some just like fun questions. Uh, here. I mean, these are fun to me. I mean, this is, I mean, this has been, it's like it's a intense. therapy session. It's been a therapy session for me. It, I, I'm going to tell my therapist I don't need to pay for the next one because I just got a free one from Tommy Breedlove uh, <laughs> here before. But walk me through your day, right? Because you, you talk about how you invest so much into yourself and, and, and there's got to be structure around it meditation. I'm a huge fan of meditation. I'm on day 266 straight, not to toot my own horn, Dude, just to let amazing. it, just to let it be known. But what, what's, what's your day? What's the routine look like? How do you build all this in and still grow a business? I mean, you talked about going from 70 hours to 40 hours. There's got to be a focus on that. So I'd love to know that journey. We'll probably back up. And I'll, I'll, truth be told, if I'm going to be completely, if I'm going to practice what I preach and be completely authentic, I'm probably up to over 60 hours again, but I love what I do, man. We're growing mm -hmm. like a weed. You know, men crave this connection. They want to make more money. They want to be better leaders. They want to be around like-minded men. So we're just, we're exploding right now, especially since the book. So to say I work 40 hours a week would be lie because I've reprioritized. My team works hard. I work hard, but we are in growth mode and just loving every minute of it, man. So I'll tell you my day, but that's why it's so important for that morning routine, for the physical workout, for the mental, emotional, and spiritual workout. And so I don't have a time that I get up. I, I'm, I'm over the 5 a.m., the 4 a.m., the 3 a.m., the 2 a.m. And the Gary, I love Gary Vee as, as a person, but that message is is ridiculous. And the Sharmas, you know, 5 a.m. club, 4 a.m. It's pretty soon it's going to be like never sleep club. That's nonsense. <laughs> so the, let's talk about days. I prioritize sleep. That's my number one priority in life right now. Number two is nutrition. Number three is physical because I'm mentally and emotionally strong because I work on those so much and half or so long. So I wake up whenever I wake up. I don't start my day before nine on any work. I just do not do it. My team won't schedule it. I don't do anything before nine. So everything before nine is about my morning coffee, my morning exercise, time with my wife. I have six daily readings that I do a day. And I most of the time read them to my wife. And sometimes I'll read them twice a day to my team. And they're ancient wisdom type books. It's a Tao based book, a Christian based book, the Daily Stoic, and some other just very big wisdom on how do we be better. And I usually read those to my wife. I have a formal intention list that I write every day of the things that I'm working on. I'll give you one of them right now. Thank you, Tommy, for being a loving 
present husband. I haven't been as loving as I want to be. I haven't been as present as I want to be. But I'm thanking myself by setting the attention and being grateful to myself, giving myself a little self-love as if it's already happened. So I write the things I'm grateful for. I write my daily intentions on things I'm working at. Then I pray. Then I meditate. I walk my dogs and I get quiet. True story. We even book walking time on my calendar. I get quiet. That's where I get innovative. That's where I think about the next content or the next speech or how I'm going to help that man or woman a little bit better. And so I get quiet on that. So let me, let me recap. There's, there's journaling. There's quiet time. There's coffee time. There's getting my body time. There's physical exercise time. And all of that happens before nine. Sometimes I'm up at five. Sometimes I'm up at six. Sometimes I sleep in until eight. It really doesn't matter. I, I kind of honor what my body needs. I'm not, I'm not one of these rigid, rigid kind of guys. I'm, I'm not really a big rule follower. We go into my work day. I do a lot of podcasting. My, it, try calling my cell phone during the day because of what I do. It doesn't matter if I'm working one-on-one or in my masterminds or running a retreat or being on a podcast or meeting someone. I want to be totally present. And so my phone is on do not disturb 90% of the day. I don't check email. It looks like I'm all over social. I write every single thing that's on social, but my team posts it. So it looks like we're out there, but I write everything. So I, I don't get distracted with email. I don't get distracted with text. I don't get, and you know, we're constantly getting berated with Instagram messages, Facebook messages, LinkedIn, you name it, man. Everybody in the world's trying. And by the way, your industry is always trying to sell me. We'll come back to that later. So... <laughs> We're very, very, very scheduled where we always take time to walk. We're very, and we're big on also. And, and one thing that I invest in my people, this is a true story because we're in the personal growth business, the leadership business, the money business for every full-time employee we have, we invest in them. We allow them to be in a mastermind, to be better leaders, to be better people, to have coaches. We invest in them for coaching because we believe in what we do. So we take time out for that. I'm working with the great Darren Hardy this year. I love him. I love everything he does. I'm working with him this year. You will see that on my calendar, working with Darren or whatever we're doing. And so we're very, very, we're big into saying no. And I don't ever chase shiny objects anymore. Oh, let's go invest in here. Let's do that. We do have a real estate portfolio. Heck, I own a lodge in North Georgia where I run my retreats. So we do have other business. I don't concentrate on them. I have other people to run that. And when I'm up there running a retreat, that's when I'm there. So it's about focus. It's about prioritization. It's about time blocking. I hope I answered your question. But in the morning, oh, and by the way, at night, I didn't do a very good job last night because we got caught in the NBA finals and I got... To talking to a team member till about two thirty in the morning, not make not lying, just about something that was going on in her life. But then we got up really early. And we looked, you know, I was like, okay, let's rock. You know, what I'm saying, so we got to rock again. So tonight will be about rest. But anyway, I'll stop talking. But I want to give a statistic, by the way. If you multitask, if you've got your email open, an Excel spreadsheet, your CRM, your phone, you're forty percent less productive. Forty percent. Only 90, only one out of a hundred people can multitask. And I promise you, you're probably not one of the one if you're listening to this. And so when you multitask, you are actually 40% less productive than you would be if you didn't. That's I mean, I'm day. just thinking about all the windows I have open on my computer and, uh, you know, I can just get a, I can get a 20% boost by just closing out maybe, you know, 50 of them. And you, and, and, you know, I, I have to do this because you brought it up and you said that the, our industry always is selling you. So I have to say, do you have a financial advisor? I do. 
What, why did you hire a financial advisor? What drove you to hiring? A, what drove you to making that decision? And why did you hire that person? His why. I like the reason he's investing and what he's investing. I like his backstory. I like his background. I learned who he was and where he's going and why he was in the industry. Honestly, it doesn't matter if you're at Goldman, JP Morgan, your own little RIA or everything in between. It doesn't really matter. You're you're all investing in the same shit. So it is an antiquated, broken industry, but that's a whole different podcast. We can go into that. We'll bring you you back on for that. (laughs) We can go into that. But honestly, the, the reason that I hired him was because of his why. I loved the things that he believed in, that he'd invested in. There's certain things that he won't invest in that are, are based on my value systems and my integrity. It'll be interesting. I will probably uh, shoot some money to a different advisor that I also love his why and who he is. So it's just two very different type of portfolios. And so I'll probably be hiring a different guy here soon and keeping the other one. I don't want to uh, name drop here, but I... I like to know who people are, where they're going, what lights them up, and the why they're in this. And if it's fear-generated or shame-generated or our fees are 0.1% less than this or my portfolio gets 8 to 12% and this one gets 16 blah, blah, blah. Okay. Okay. Good for you. Um, I think that you nail, I think that you nail what this whole, and it's a passion of mine, right? Is that everybody thinks that they're better at investing and everything of that nature. But what you just said is someone that's not in the industry is it's all about the relationship and understanding who you are and making that be seen. And that's what's important. And that's why I think that fee compression is a bunch of baloney and BS, because if you can charge whatever fee you want, if, if you are willing to create and open up and create that relationship. If you're hinging it on performance and investing, yeah, you are going to be fee compressed. But if you're not, people will pay because they believe in you as a person. And that's what our unique value prop is in this industry. And you just heard it right here from someone that's not even in the industry of why he chose an advisor. People buy people, by the way. And I want to go back because I just read this recently and it floored me. You know, we were talking about productivity and multitasking. This is just going to freak you out, man. I mean, they did the data. If your cell phone is in the room when you work out, you're like they did it on all these world class pro athletes and Olympians. And when their cell phone was in the room, their product, not even on it, in the room, 13% decrease in their workout numbers. How crazy is that? <laughs> what was the rationale? Were they able to come to a rationale just because you're thinking of like what's going on on that phone? And so your, your it's mind addic- space it's, isn't it's fully a, Yeah, it's the addiction. You know, is there a message? Is there a ding? Is there a vibration? Is there an Instagram fabulous something? You know, it's, it's, it's just completely cyclic. It's, it's complete distraction. And it has the same characteristics as heroin, which is nuts. It's not Anyway, amazing. I want to share that with you. Well, I, I love that. And I want to ask two quick questions, right? First one, what is it that you wanted to be as a kid? Coca-Cola truck driver. And I'm not even remotely making that up. I, I love wanted, that. I, I probably wanted to be Michael Jackson, but I couldn't sing or dance. I, I was obsessed with Thriller. But the truth be told is I grew up in the South Atlanta, big Coca-Cola place, a lot of Coca-Cola factory workers. It looked like it, it, I loved Coca-Cola. As, I mean, I, I don't drink it much anymore, but I loved it as a kid. And I always saw the Coke trucks and the guys delivering the Coke trucks. And remember, I came from humble beginnings. And it seemed like a great company and a great job. And it was a great company and it is a great job. And it just seemed a little bit better than 
what was around me. And so that was a dream of mine was to be a Coca-Cola truck driver. That's the absolute truth, man. I love it. I love it. And then last question. I'm, I'm, I give you a million dollars right now and you have to spend it in 24 hours. Whatever's not spent, sent back to me. What do you do with the money? I would book a bunch of PJs, private jets, and I would take all of my team in my inner circle, which is about 20 people. We would be in Cabo in about four hours. Did you say I have 24 hours to spend that? Yeah, yeah. And we would throw one epic effing party, man. And trust me, (laughs) I know how to do that. (laughs) Because it's all about experiences. It'd probably have a yacht involved and it would be people I love and trust. And we would, I'm telling you, we could blow it, dude. I mean, absolutely. I, I, you know, I'm telling you, we could blow a million. I could probably blow a million dollars in five hours if you gave it to me. You want to do that? You want to test me on that? Let's, let's try. As long as I can be part of the inner circle, I'm all in. I am all in if we can do that. And, you know, there's something to be said on that question. Someone asked me that actually on a podcast. When I was interviewing them, they flipped it on me and asked me that question. And the reason was, and I think it sums up a lot of what we talked about, and then, I, and then we'll close this out, is the amount of focus and attention and in the moment that we would put into trying to spend a million dollars in 24 hours puts us in that moment. And if you can take that mentality to your day-to-day life and live every single day in that nature, how well you would live your life every single moment and be in the present as opposed to always looking to the future. Like how, when he asked me, I was like, well, I would go do this. And he's like, well, you're paying so much attention to that day and and intricacy of it. And you're living in the moment and that's something we can all learn. That's why I love asking that question. Totally, dude. And, and another way to get rid of it when you're doing I love that. Great answer, by the way. And, um, you know, when you when, when you throw an epic party like that, you can also tip massively to everyone who's serving you. And make <laughs> that's their how you get rid better. of it really quickly is you just start tipping the money everywhere. It's, that thing is talking about Wolf of Wall Street. That stuff is going over the over the board, over the yacht on the side of it. So, Tommy, this was an amazing conversation. I could talk to you for for hours. And, and I, I'm sure that all of our listeners would, you know, could follow you and, and learn so much from you. So how do they follow you? I know they can go buy your book, Legendary. How can they stay in touch with you, reach out to you, whatever it may be? Dude, I love that question. And Legendary is everywhere in every format. So if you like, if my accent doesn't bother you, I will read it to you on Audible or some electronic format. It's also an electronic, you know, Kindle and all the iBooks and all that good stuff. But it's also hardcover and software and it's everywhere. Um, you can get it everywhere. It's actually in the I'm psyched. I just got a bunch of text. It's in all, all the airports now. Face out. That means that's actually doing some good, man. Wall there Street Journal. USA Today. We got USA Today, Wall Street. Now we're shooting for New York Times. I'm all over LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Whatever your flavor is. I don't really participate in Twitter. Another stat for you, by the way. If you're on Twitter for more than three minutes a day, you're 60% more likely to say you had a bad day. Do that math. But... Instagram at Tommy Breedlove, LinkedIn, Tommy Breedlove, Facebook, Tommy Breedlove. And don't don't befriend me on Facebook. Please don't do that. Go to like Instagram or LinkedIn. Let's do it there. And we always put out life tips, life hacks, tips on business, tips on life. We're, we're just putting goodness out there. There's no political division, no opinions. We're sharing wisdom that was given to us. And so and our Instagram and LinkedIn is just growing astronomically. So I'm just super thankful for that. If you want to know more about this work or working with me or working with someone like me, you know, I could be strawberry and you're looking for chocolate. I am very tied into this industry now because I, I have worked with so many people and I can recommend you these. But reach out to me at info at TommyBreedLove.com or go to TommyBreedLove.com. 
We give a bunch of free stuff away. We talked about purpose on this podcast. If you look up the sky and you don't know why you're here, we give you a bunch of free stuff there to go find it. Um, it's also in the book, but go to TommyBreedLove.com, sign up. We'll send you a bunch of free goodies. And, uh, or if you want to know more about our executive men's retreats or our mastermind or one-on-one coaching or our conferences, we'd love to see you at one of those and just participate in your own rescue, man. Be a better leader, be a better father, be a better wife, be a better husband. You know what I'm saying? Be better. And I work on it every single day and I'm no guru. I'm no sage on the stage, man. I am put together with duct tape and super glue. And this is not what it sounds like to have a all going on. That's why I have a coach. And, and I promise you, if you want to, I'll stand next to you on this journey, not in front of you, behind you. I'll be walking that journey with you, man. And it'd be an honor to do that. So thank you for letting me share that, brother. Tommy Breedlove, amazing. I'm really grateful for you and for helping us out and staying on this podcast with us. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people in touch. Stay well, all right, my friend? Thank you, brother. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 